Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast, your audio arena for everything fitness, health, life, where transformation is the game and excellence is the goal. Whether you're a fitness coach or athlete ready to take it to the next level or someone on the journey to be your best self, this is the place to fuel your way to your highest potential. Surrounded by the best coaches in the game, the ladies, Kayla, Janet, Destiny, and the boys, Ian, Mario, and yours truly, your host, Coach P. It's time for our topic and guest. Let's roll. Guys, welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast. I am your host, Coach B, and we are going to start tackling an awesome series where we take a whole bunch of topics that our audience is interested in, and we dive in full force and answering everything from exercise science to nutrition to lifestyle habits, how to approach the holidays, and so on and so forth. And so this week's first topic that's been requested from a large amount of our audience is the simple, basic understanding of macros and micros, how they function into your dietary approach, how to understand them and what the importance is for balanced nutrition, not only for performance, but health and longevity as well. And so we're going to go into just the very big basics behind the big three, the big three macronutrients, talk about their intricacies and how many calories they yield, but at the same time, talk about things such as simple versus complex carbohydrates. We're going to dive into the recommended daily amounts that are recommended by the CDC and for the American Dietary Association. We're going to go through each and every individual function so that you can have a clear understanding of not only how to understand the macros yourself, but how to coach them to others and educate others as well. So you will be adequately prepared when it comes to understanding the macros, especially this time of year as we are now in the holiday season. So let's dive in and let's first start with the major section of our talk today, which is everything that has to do with the big three, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. These are the main three macronutrients that we focus on from a health and fitness perspective when we are looking at your nutrition as a whole. When it comes down to these three, it's manipulating these in specific ways, not only to optimize your health, but can also be optimized for specific goals as well, whether it's trying to maintain athletic performance, whether it's trying to build muscle and add mass, or even if it's coming down to fat loss, understanding these three big macronutrients are very important and vital to your success and your overall health as well. So let's start off with the big one. All right, let's start off with carbohydrates. And when it comes to understanding all three of these macronutrients, we do have to understand they all yield energy. All right, they all go through various metabolic processes to be broken down to so we can get to the baby building blocks of our energy currency known as ATP. If you did not have ATP, we would not have any functional energy to thrive or or or, or initiate any process in the human body. The ATP is your overall energy currency for all things. And we have metabolic processes to break down foods into these smaller parts so that we can follow them through various processes like glycolysis or beta oxidation to get us to this ATP. So let's first discuss carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are your primary energy source for all types of physical activity, and they are crucial for high intensity and endurance performance. Carbohydrates yield approximately four calories of energy per gram, right? And it's the exact same thing when it comes to protein, whereas fat is double that amount and a little bit more. And we'll talk about that when we get to fat specifically. Carbohydrates are 
different carbon chains with hydrogens and oxygens that when you look at a, from a chemistry perspective, we have various types of carbohydrates varying from simple carbohydrates to complex carbohydrates. The difference is a simple can be broken down much easier, whereas complex carbohydrates have much more carbon chains um, in, in, in the series. But when it comes to just understanding them for the general population, Simple carbohydrates are very easily digested. They're found th found in things such as fruits, various dairy products, and sugar-sweetened beverages, whereas complex carbohydrates are, are much, much more difficult to break down. They are much, much slower. Um, it can provide you a more steadily you know, release of energy compared to simple carbohydrates that tend to have a higher glycemic response, but they give you energy very, very quickly. And so when it comes to the big differences, Looking at various fruits can be a simple carbohydrate, whereas complex carbohydrates are usually found in your starchy vegetables, legumes, whole grains, um, potatoes. These types of uh, carbohydrates are going to be more complex. And when it comes to controlling the blood sugar response and keeping your energy level stable, you more than likely usually want to go more for your complex options. Um, but when it comes to our area of sports and fitness, carbohydrates tend to get a lot of flack. You know, in it was a long time ago where when we looked the research that carbohydrates are blamed for fat gain. And whenever people say, oh, I got to be careful with carbs, I can't have carbs, um, it's usually mislabeled because when you're actually looking at the processed foods that you'll see at the grocery store that people often blame for weight gain, especially this time of year on the holidays, you'll see things such as cakes or baked confections or de or delicious treats and all other sorts of things that you would see on a, on a holiday spread or that would be labeled as carbs when in fact, the primary macronutrient that composes the majority of those processed foods and delicious, delicious things are actually primarily fat. And so, and this is why it's really, really important to understand the differentiation between the two because it's not actually carbohydrates. When you actually look at the literature, our consumption of sugar um, actually has has actually gone down while obesity actually continues to trend up. And so it is more the product of overconsumption of calories that is leading to the overweight issues we currently see in our society today. But once again, another issue for another time uh, when it comes to the topics. But so when it comes to carbohydrates, um, carbohydrates are one of the macronutrients that in fact it is not essential for the human body because we our body can go through various processes such as gluconeogenesis and taking proteins and fats through the liver to be able to create glucose manually now it's a much more time consuming process and a more energy costly uh, process therefore it's not as efficient as utilizing carbohydrates straight from food sources to be able to restore muscle glycogen and utilize glucose for activity. But although carbohydrates are not essential, they are the absolute best fuel. They are the most efficient fuel. And as far as providing the highest level of performance, nothing damn near comes close when it comes to restoring muscle glycogen and providing glucose for those higher intensity activities. When you look at the various metabolic processes when it comes to energy production, we have multiple different energy systems, starting with the ATP phosphocreatine, which delivers energy for approximately anywhere from 10 to 15 seconds of higher intensity activity. So this will be you know, the utilization of ATP that's stored, readily available, and that is recycled with the help of phosphocreatine. And when, it, when this happens, this is usually happening during sprint interval training. It's happening during weightlifting sometimes. Um, and it's really, really explosive. Now, when that is no longer able to contribute to the majority of the energy production, then we start to get into anaerobic glycolysis, which is the utilization of carbohydrates without oxygen. And so, and this usually lasts anywhere from 30 seconds to two minutes of that higher intensity activity. So this is going to be more for your 
uh, higher level, longer duration, higher intensity activities, such as doing gassers, such as doing, you know, high intensity interval sprints for multiple reps over and over and over again for upwards of 30 seconds or more. This is going to be for your longer bodybuilding style workouts that are a little bit more intensive. This is your CrossFit wads. These are your, you know, types of sports where we have really, really, you know, short but explosive intermittent uh, bouts of exercise. And then anything longer than gym minutes, we're going to start to dial more into aerobic glycolysis um, where we can utilize in either carbohydrates or fats um, in order to do this until we get to the point to where we're really, really focusing on fats for fuel if we're going for longer, steady durations uh, of, of physical activity. Now, in order to get the most out of our performance, we need to realize that it is anaerobic glycolysis that functions solely off of carbohydrate in the absence of oxygen. Your body has to resort to carbohydrates when utilizing fat can no longer keep up with the demand for ATP because although fat gives you tons of energy, which we'll talk about, can give you lots of ATP with the, with the, with the broken, uh, with breaking down uh, layers of fat, it's, it's, it's very, very slow in comparison to that of anaerobic glycolysis, which can get the energy very, very quickly from carbohydrates. And so that is why the higher intensity levels of activity, when you're doing your high intensity bouts, when you're doing your CrossFit workouts, your circuits, your supersets, um, your, your wads, as it were, you really do much, much better utilizing carbohydrates. This is the same for longer endurance athletes as well, because even though you're doing endurance work, you're, when you're still pushing yourself to higher intensities, you're still going to be utilizing carbohydrate and the overall you know, performance adaptations that can come with getting in better aerobic shape and improving your aerobic capacity, you can also improve your metabolic flexibility and get to what's called carbohydrate sparing to where you get better and better and better to where you can spare the carbohydrate that you're using and therefore push yourself harder for longer. Once again, another topic for a different day, but this is a big reason why when you look at the literature all the way across, when looking at athletes, not only is carbohydrates one of the most beneficial macronutrients to utilize during training and to facilitate proper workouts, both before and after the training, but it's also essential for, for recovery. When you compare, let's say, higher carbohydrate endurance athletes to low to no carbohydrate intake, such as like ketogenic athletes who try to do endurance types of performance, you will see that the individuals who consume carbohydrates on the regular they recover much quicker. They're able to restore muscle glycogen much more efficiently, and they perform better during the actual workout bout itself and increasing the amount of time it takes for them before they start to fatigue compared to their low carbohydrate uh, counterparts. Well, they will actually fatigue much faster during the actual performance events. Once again, showing that carbohydrate intake is superior to any other dietary approach when it comes to improving your performance all the way around. And so when it comes to actually being specific there is what strategies can we use for this? Well, putting your carbohydrates both in the hours before your workouts and immediately after is the absolute best when it comes to improving your performance overall, regardless of what type of athlete you are. Even when it comes to powerlifting or heavy weightlifting, where you're not really getting outside of that 10 second range, we do know that the central nervous system requires glucose for a proper recovery of neurons. And so glucose, once again, being something that is essential and absolutely needed for the human body. And we know that there is an actual RDA now that a lot of people are actually unfamiliar with. And so when you hear certain uh, research, uh, there are certain research studies and, and talks a lot from Dr. Donald Lehman, um, who was actually the uh, the primary mentor of Dr. Gabrielle Line and Lane Norton, two, two individuals who are very, very popular 
popular in fitness social media nowadays, that he will actually discuss this, that there actually is a recommended daily allowance for carbohydrates. Whereas most institutions or academic bodies such as ACSM uh, or ICA will usually say that you know carbohydrates should make up at least 45 to 55% of your total calories per day, we actually know that due to the requirements of the human body, specifically the brain's uh, necessity for needing glucose, we need approximately 130 grams of carbohydrates per day. That is the recommended daily allowance for most people in our population. And then upwards of an additional 30 grams per hour of physical activity that's performed on the daily. And so, but this, once again, this is all going to be individual variation. If you're someone who's very, very active and is is being active throughout the day with various levels of physical activity, you're getting 10,000 steps a day, you're doing weightlifting and doing cardiovascular training and all these other things, you might be someone who needs upwards of 200 or 230 grams of carbohydrates per day. It all depends upon the individual. Visual. So there is absolutely nothing wrong with carbohydrates, and they are absolutely essential if it comes to wanting to perform very, very highly in physical activity. And so, but then it just comes down to utilizing strategies to utilize them properly. Because one of the biggest mistakes that we make is consuming too many carbohydrates at any one time. And when it comes to consuming way too many carbohydrates at any one time, this is what causes potential things such as hyper and hypoglycemia, where we see very, very large occlusions uh, in the blood and blood sugar spikes within the bloodstream that causes oxidative stress. And that's actually what can lead to the development of things like prediabetes um, and, di and other diabetic related issues. And so in order to control this, we have to be very, very good at A, putting carb carbohydrates around where we're going to use them um, properly. So around your workouts, it's always been a big, big recommendation. Um, or just making sure that you're physically active in general, because we know individuals who are physically active in general, both who do weightlifting and cardiovascular training, actually have much higher improved glucose regulation and utilize carbohydrates much more efficiently and effectively that actually mitigates a lot of these related issues. And so with this being said as well, is learning how to control control the amounts of carbohydrates you have per meal. And so usually, you know, it's there's some individual variation, but I usually find with myself and most individuals that I work with that the sweet spot tends to be around 40 to 60 grams of carbohydrates and going no more than that. But being sure that you also pair that with the other macronutrients. And so in order to control the glycemic uh, response that occurs from eating that carbohydrate, you tend to want to eat protein and fat first when it comes to sitting down to eat your meals, because this will actually significantly help regulate the blood sugar response and can actually reduce the overall impact that it will have. And so this is why I'll usually tell my athletes and my clients that I work with is, hey, if you're going to sit down and have a meal and you want to control satiation, you want to control cravings, eat the protein first, eat the protein and fat and fiber first. And it will really do a great job in not only promoting satiation and helping keeping you full and prevent you from overeating, but it'll also control the blood sugar response and therefore allow your energy levels to stay more stable. It can be very, very beneficial for your performance throughout the day, especially for those individuals that have to sit down and do work at a computer um, or during times that are inactive. And so this is a really, really great strategy to use. Uh, and when you space that out by anywhere from three to four and a half hours and take the advantage of getting the response about protein that we'll talk about here momentarily, this is a really, really effective strategy to use. <clears throat> so when it comes to my best recommended carbohydrate sources, I always tell my athletes and clients, choose the best whole food options that you can with carbohydrates. The more processed 
the more that they te technically could potentially cause issues. And so I try to in educate individuals to stay away from added sugars as much as they can or limit them to no more than 10% of your total calories per day. Best way to buy and figure this out is to look at the nutrition label and you'll be able to see how many grams of added sugars are in those products. The less, the better, the higher the fiber, the better when it comes to your carbohydrate sources. And so my best recommendations have always been sticking to things like uh, legumes, sticking to things like potatoes, because they're the most, one of the most satiating options of carbohydrates. Uh, old school uh, oats, absolutely love oatmeal as a source of carbohydrates. And then fruits and vegetables. And so I absolutely love green apples, berries, which are really high in fiber and antioxidants, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, uh, and then sometimes even rice, but just being careful with rice as you know the volume of rice and calories adds up relatively quickly, whereas quinoa, which has been one of my top favorite choices of carbohydrates, is not only much higher in fiber and lower in calories in compared to volumes as it is to rice, uh, but it also has a great deal amount of protein and actually has a full amino acid profile, which is very, very beneficial for individuals such as vegetarians and vegans who choose not to eat animal sources. This is a great carbohydrate source to use to try and get in the essential amino acids that you don't get when you don't eat animal sources of protein. So those are my top sources that I consume when it comes to carbohydrates. I do love breads and Pastas, but you do have to be careful the more processed they are. And if you're someone that has gluten-related issues, that is a big consideration to keep in mind. So that is my take on carbohydrates. Now let's dive into my absolute favorite, which is protein. And protein is absolutely essential. And it's one of those macronutrients that, in my belief, as I look into the literature and just my overall anecdotal experience as a coach, working with clients of all sorts of variations tends to be the one macronutrient that is underconsumed, um, and it is the one that people need more of, especially as we age. And so protein is vital for damn near every aspect of your health, and it is absolutely essential because there are aspects of protein that you cannot get um, from, from yourself. You have to eat uh, exogenous sources of foods in order to get those essential amino acids. So it's very, very important um, and why it's so important for proper health. And so when you look at the overall definition and roles of proteins, proteins are vital for things such as muscle repair, muscle growth, cellular functioning. They're needed for the production of enzymes that catalyze reactions that happen for all sorts of processes in the body. Proteins are every single, uh, every single tissue that you have, every single aspect that you have hair nails skin your eyes you know all, all sorts of aspects of your body are all made up of proteins you absolutely need protein for all aspects of your health this is why it is so important it's why it is so vital you need protein for absolutely everything especially if the more active you become because the more active you are the higher requirements of protein you need due to the fact that you're breaking down proteins much more effectively and efficiently than other individuals. And so for when it comes to the overall recommendations from the CDC and from uh, when you look at recommended daily allowances, for, for average adult individuals who are sedentary, 0.8 grams per kilogram has been the recommendation. But that tends to be very, very low for most people, especially individuals who are trying to be more active or trying to improve their health. And I would I would argue even for older adults who are at risk for sarcopenia, which is the loss of muscle mass as we age, and actually results in a higher risk of so many other causes of mortality as well, that it is super important for them to get even more protein in because there's also an age-related effect to where we see that uh, the same amount of protein as we age no longer has as a robust impact on muscle protein synthesis, which in English means 
the, the, the same amount of protein that you ate when you were 20 or 30 years old no longer has the same anabolic or building effect that the older that you get. And you require just a little bit more protein per serving to get that ample response. So when it comes to the average individuals that I work with currently in the fitness industry, individuals who are looking to build muscle, to maintain lean mass as they attempt weight loss, and for overall health in general, is about 1.4 to 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is actually damn near close to one gram per pound of body weight. We see that entities such as the ISSN, the International Society of Sports Nutrition, actually will go a little bit higher than that and even say 1.7 grams per kilogram of body weight. For individuals who follow Lane Norton, Lane Norton has also written in his book, Fat Loss Forever, that there is peer-reviewed literature to show that research done on obese individuals can even take protein up to two grams per kilogram of body weight and see rapid and, and see vast benefits and no ill effects as well. There's even some research that goes as high as three grams per kilogram of body weight. Now, this is lean body mass now, not, not total body mass, because when you start to work with overweight and obese individuals, this turns into a, a lot of protein, which is excessive. But when it comes down to lean body mass, this actually has been found to be very beneficial for promoting satiation um, and increased thermic effect of food, because we know that protein actually causes the highest thermic effect in food, which is the heat energy that's given off due to the breakdown processes of protein in the body. So protein is absolutely one of the best macronutrients and the one that needs to be focused on by more people because it is so essential for so many things. And when you when you listen to other scientists in the industry, such as Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, muscle-centric medicine really is the future for helping people abstain from things such as obesity, from diabetes, uh, and other mortality-related chronic diseases because Muscle is the source of everything. It is where the mitochondria are housed. It is where it is where we produce ATP. It is very, very important to making sure that your muscle stays healthy for as long as possible, especially as you age. And because of our, this is what causes the drop in our metabolism. You lose one of the most expensive, uh, metabolically expensive tissues in the human body that's not only responsible for your basal metabolic rate, but is also responsible for physical functioning. And the ability for you to take care of yourself as you age is very, very important, which is why strength training has been for a long time continue to need needs to be continued to be pushed as something that becomes a lifelong part of your fitness in addition to cardiovascular training for this reason. Now, when it comes to sources of protein, you can get your protein from both animal and plant-based protein sources to complete your essential amino acid profile. But what we need to understand is that getting them from plant sources is not as uh, effective due to the fact that they do not have a complete amino acid profile. There are there's an entire list of essential amino acids where you have some that can, that can be, uh, that are coming from your own body that you can synthesize, but there are others that you cannot. There are others such as leucine that you must get from elsewhere, that you must get from animal sources. And if you're not eating those animal sources, you can be deficient in those proteins, which is, uh, contra which is contraindicative to your overall performance and health. And so when it comes to plant-based proteins, certain plants only have a certain array of amino acids. So this is why vegetarians and vegans oftentimes have to be more considerate of the protein sources that they're intaking because they need to make sure that they get complementary sources of protein, which means that they get protein from various types of plants to make sure that they're getting every single amino acid that they need for optimal health reasons. Whereas individuals who eat animal products don't have to worry about this because every animal product has the 
full array of amino acids. But with that being said as well, we also have to be careful with certain animal-based proteins because not all are as bioavailable, available, which means we're not actually able to get all the protein from that particular animal, depending upon which animals they are, how they were raised, and so forth. And so we do find that the best protein sources on the list as far as bioavailability usually are things such as dairy and eggs tend to be at the top of the list. And then you make your way down and you get to things such as red meat and poultry tend to be the that uh, the best right under there. And then the further you go down, you usually get to more of the fatty sources such as pork, which tends to be not as good of sources um, of protein due to the fact that not only it has higher levels of saturated fat, and usually lower bioavailability. So that's why usually when I work with my athletes and my clients, I always usually at the top of my list will recommend things that come from uh, poultry for sure, chicken, turkey, various uh, various fish, um, especially uh, fatty fish to get a healthy omega-3 uh, fatty acid profile. Um, and I'm, I also do recommend red meat, red meat that has been raised uh, properly, uh, red meat that is uh, grass-fed to have a higher uh, omega-3 uh, fatty acid profile um, tends to be very, very good for you. And these are the types that I will recommend over others. And I will recommend dairy as well, as long as the individual does not have any dairy-related sensitivities. And so when it comes to protein, this is one of the biggest ones that I get on my clients for, making sure that they're getting adequate amounts of protein. Um, as far as protein timing is concerned, I usually recommend all of my athletes at least anywhere, depending on their body size, anywhere from 30 to 50 grams of protein per meal. We see as we age, and you'll hear Dr. Peter Atia talks about this as well, is that we will need at least that sweet spot of 40 grams of protein. If we don't get as much as we need per serving, then there won't be enough to stimulate the maximal protein synthesis response that we need. Um, but on the flip side of that, if we have way too much every single time, then usually the excess will just go right to the liver to be synthesized into glucose. Um, and so this is why I usually recommend most individuals consume anywhere from about 35 to 50 grams of protein per meal to make sure that they're getting an adequate amount. And then I'll usually, uh, I'll usually advise them to consume that amount every three to four hours or so, so that they get the maximum muscle protein response. Because when you consume a bolus of protein that is that high, you will see a spike of muscle protein synthesis that'll reach its peak at around one and a half hours or so after consuming it. And then it'll slowly come back down to baseline again. And then that becomes the perfect time to consume another meal at that time. And in order to get the, the top amount of requirements that you need per day. And so, for example, if I'm working with someone who is 200 pounds and they do adequate amounts of resistance training throughout the week, then that individual is going to need anywhere from 175 to 200 grams of protein. We'll divide that up to an approximately four to five meals per day with at least 30 to 50 grams per meal so that we can hit that mark. Boom, done. And it, and it is really, really great strategy, not only for getting your protein, but also keeping energy levels stable, because then we can utilize the strategy that I spoke about earlier when it comes to doing the 40, the one-to-one -one ratio of 40 to of 40 grams to 50 grams of protein with that 40 to 50 grams of carbohydrates. And that allows you to be able to control the glycemic response and also be able to consume adequate carbs at the same time. Um, so really, really beneficial way to, to utilize protein. And really, really maximize the amount that we need. And protein is usually the number one thing I'll always help my clients and athletes learn how to improve on first. And if you focus on protein first as the first one to try and master, 
usually weight loss and improving performance is a simple byproduct of this because not only is protein essential, it is also the most satiating. It is very, very difficult to overconsume protein. And is you and all of my strategies for helping people maintain healthy body weight and even lose weight or build muscle revolves all around protein. For example, we just had Thanksgiving. And this is something that's going to apply to the upcoming holidays as well, particularly Christmas, is what to do to help control your satiation and prevent you from having cravings and prevent you from over-consuming calories. And protein is the best strategy to do this. The first thing is starting your day off with adequate amounts of protein, because starting your day off with protein not only helps get that first robust protein synthesis response, but it also impacts your daily cravings of carbohydrates later on throughout the day and you're less likely to crave glucose in high levels. With that involved as well, when you start your meals off by eating the protein first, you not only control the satiate, not only do you control the blood sugar response that we've already discussed, but you also help also accelerate the rate at which you get that satiation because your body is you, the protein is the one macronutrient that sends that signal to control for satiation, to tell the body that it's full, that it has all the essential nutrients that it needs, and then you're less likely to overconsume calories, and it becomes that much more difficult uh, to overconsume other foods or carbohydrates. So you got to think about it. When you put an entire plate of meat in front of you on one plate to the left, and then you have another plate of, let's say, mashed potatoes on the right, it is really, really easy to overconsume hundreds and hundreds of calories from potatoes with gravy on the right side of the plate. But if you try to eat nothing but turkey on the left side of the plate, not only is that lower calories, but that also is going to fill you up much more quicker. You're not going to be able to overeat that. And so it's a very, very useful strategy to utilize protein to help control the consumption of calories. Now, let's talk about the last major macronutrient and talk about fats. And fats is the second essential macronutrient of the human body. They are absolutely essential for hormone production, nutrient absorption, and so many other aspects of health that are important for gender-specific bodily roles as well. And when you are low on fats, this will produce, this will present a large degree of stress onto the human body. But as important as it is to get in dietary fats, you have to make sure you get in the right dietary fats. And although it is important to get a little bit of saturated fat in the diet, we know that too much saturated fat is correlated with cardiovascular health-related issues. So it is very, very important to understand that we consume the right types of products to keep saturated fat low, but allow us to still get protein high. And this is another thing that we usually talk about when it comes to consuming animal products to get our proteins in. Saturated fat is something that you do have to pay attention to because you don't want too much. Now, when it comes to the calorie yield of fats, you know, to review, carbohydrates give us four calories per gram. Protein also gives us four calories per gram, but fat gives us nine calories per gram, which is more than double the amount. And so this is why it's also uh, very, very important to realize that we can overconsume calories very, very quickly when we are consuming fat in our diet. And we do need healthy sources of fats. We need to make sure that we are getting plenty of poly and monounsaturated fats in our diet while doing our best to reduce saturated fats as best as we can and try to abstain from trans fats as much as we can. Because we know in comparison to any other type of fat, trans fats are those that are highly correlated and highly associated with cardiovascular disease and other mortality-related issues. Now, when it comes to getting healthy sources of fats, we do need to make sure that there is a proper ratio of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids in, in 
the role it plays in inflammation. And so the biggest issue is, is when it comes to the ratio of these fatty acids, your body needs a proper ratio of omega-3 to 6 and 9. Now, when you look at this ratio, omega-3 is in smaller proportions and amounts compared to omega-6s and 9s, which is normal. But the problem is, is especially in our Western diet, we have so many food sources that are way, way high in omega-6s and 9s. And when we don't have enough of the omega-3 in ratio to that, that's what can re- that's what can result in inflammation and oxidative stress-related issues. And so it becomes very, very important to maximize omega-3 in our diet. And what we also see with the roles of omega-3s is your brain is primarily made up of healthy fats. And so when we see individuals who struggle from cognition and intellectual related issues, things like brain fog and and such, we actually see that those individuals are usually very, very low in omega-3 in their diet. And when you look at the lifespan and how people age and look at brain health, when you look at brain scans of various individuals who consume very, very low amounts of omega-3, their brains actually get premature shrinkage compared to adults who consume omega-3 on the regular. This is also why consuming the Mediterranean-style diet that is very high in things like olive oil is very, very beneficial when it comes to consuming healthy sources of fat. So when it comes to consuming the right amounts of healthy fats in our diet, we have to do a real good job of prioritizing much larger amounts of omega-3s. But it goes much, much further than just taking a simple fish oil per day. Because for for a long time, people advocated for taking fish oils to get your omega-3 fatty acids, which are good because you get a higher amount of omega-3 fatty acids from fatty fish, such as salmon, particularly those that are wild caught and not farm-raised. But the issue with this is if you're not careful with the quality of fish oil supplements, this can be actually counterproductive because most fish oil supplements that are created are actually prematurely bad when you buy them. And the only way to know this and that they've gone rancid is if you put them in the freezer or the fridge and you see that they become cloudy. If they become cloudy, they have decayed and they are no longer um, no longer high in the value of the omega-3 fatty acid. And therefore, you're just eating fat <laughs> with no value. Uh, and so it becomes really, really important to making sure that you're buying the most highest quality sources of omega-3s that you can, which once again is always going to be best from the natural food itself. Uh, but supplementation can help for sure. And so and there are various supplements that you can get. But before we do that, let's actually focus on the actual healthy fats that you should be consuming in your diet. And so the best sources are from the top. Olive oil is by far one of the best sources of healthy fats that you can get. Avocados is is really, really beneficial. Um, and then, of course, getting your uh, absolutely healthy fats from free fatty, from, from fatty fish, such as salmon. Uh, especially Alaskan wild caught is very, very beneficial as well. Nuts are good sources of healthy fats as well, but you do have to be careful because although they do have healthy sources of fats, they're also very high in omega-6s and 9s and can and, and can negatively influence uh, inflammation if they're consumed in too high amounts. Um, and so it's very bene- it's, it's, they're very beneficial, but it's important to make sure that they are regulated very, very well in your diet. And so with that being said, there's actually a lot of research to show that more grass-fed, pasture-raised foods, um, in particular animals such as chickens and beef, is actually also very high in omega-3s compared to their non-pasture-raised counterparts. And so although it's more expensive, we do see that when you consume your protein sources from more grass-fed and pasteurized sources, and that includes beef, eggs, and chicken, you get much higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids. And they actually do 
have a much different impact on the body. And so, you know, sometimes if, when you have a steak from the store, for example, that you just get, you know, sometimes it just doesn't really sit that well. Whereas when you get something that is being grass fed and pasture raised, you can really feel the difference in your body and less, less GI distress, less bloating, um, less overall inflammation. And it's very, really beneficial. So definite things to think about when it comes to, yes, what you spend your money on shore, it can be very, it can be more expensive than the non-pasture raised, non, non-grass-fed counterparts. But when it comes to your health, you really have to start weighing the checks and balances of whether or not you can, you can really not afford to, to put a price when it comes to maximizing your overall health. So being very, very choosy of when it comes to your healthy fats uh, and, your, and your sources of foods. And so when it comes to fats, I usually recommend your total amount of fats in your diet be no less than 30% of your total calories when you are trying to maintain your calories and you don't really have weight gain or weight loss goals. Um, but then as you start to want to optimize your body composition and then you want to start losing weight, then you can get into particular practices. But it's usually never wise to go below anywhere from 20 to 25% of your overall uh, total daily requirements coming from fat, just due to the fact that they are so essential for the human body when it comes to proper hormone production uh, and other essential nutrient absorptions and, and other processes. Now, let's talk briefly about micronutrients. And when it comes to micronutrients, just for our audience to understand their benefits, is these micronutrients, such as many vitamins and minerals, such as your, your B vitamins, your vitamin C, vitamin A, D, E, and K, these all have particular functions in the human body. They are known as coenzymes, which are needed to actually complete and, and, and engage in proper processes in the body that are involved in bone health, oxygen transport, electrolyte balance. Uh, uh, key functions in particular foods, energy metabolism and muscle function, immune health, absolutely everything, which is vital for any natural individual who wants to optimize their health and optimize their immune system to abstain from sickness and improve athletic performance. So if you're someone who is not taking it seriously when it comes to getting a whole wide array of whole foods in your diet, it is very, very important to understand that it could be a deficiency that's causing a particular issue that you're dealing with. And so although most people you utilize the blanket approach to helping with this by taking a multivitamin, which can be helpful in helping you cover your bases, there is nothing better than getting a wide array of whole foods in your diet and making sure that you are getting all the micronutrients that you need. Now, while it could take an entire podcast episode to really dive deeply into all of them and talk about all of their different functions, and actually take a whole series of podcasts, it is more important to instead focus on the main groups of them that are so important. And so when it comes to the specific ones that are water soluble, we have things like your B vitamins and your vitamin C, which are super, super important. Some of them are antioxidants. Some are important for metabolism and producing production of energy and glycolysis and beta oxidation. We also have the fat soluble vitamins that are very important for big key functions in the human body. These, these vitamins are going to be vitamins A, D, E, and K. Uh, which are really, really important for aspects of your health and crucial um, for health and recovery. Then we come down to uh, other ones such as your minerals, which are also very, very important for things such as uh, the production of healthy bone and oxygen transport and, and healthy red blood cells and the electrolyte balance. These things are going to be things like calcium, iron, magnesium, zinc. These are all very, very beneficial and very es essential for, for making sure that all vital processes in the human body are, 
are being optimal at that time, especially when it comes to things such as muscle contraction and nerve impulse conduction, which are very, very important for athletic performance. And so oftentimes we can use supplements to help with these areas, particularly if individuals are deficient in these specific things. Um, and although that is a wise step to take, um, it is important to first get blood testing to see if you are actually deficient in a particular micronutrient. I always make sure that I instruct and educate my clients so that they know that they shouldn't just take a supplement just because they saw something on Instagram or social media that said that this particular thing can help with this particular issue. Because unless you absolutely know that those are your levels that have been seen in your bloodstream, they could potentially do, uh, they either will have no effect and you'd be wasting your money, or you could potentially overdose on one that could have a negative ill health effect. So always important to making sure that you do your homework, you get actual blood work done to see if you're actually in need of that particular micronutrient before you try to supplement with it. And yes, it, when it comes to having a deficiency, supplementation is very, very beneficial. Um, but at the same time, trying to make sure that you abide better overall habits and get the healthy source of them overall as you are trying to improve your overall health, which is why the biggest thing I'll always recommend is just maximizing the wide array, wide array of varieties of foods in your diet from all sources of healthy proteins to all sources of healthy carbohydrates, fruits, and vegetables, and healthy fats to making sure that you get an adequate micronutrient profile. I hope that this was a great insight for you all as far as what the macronutrients are, how they contribute to our health, and why it is that us coaches we usually talk about what you know what these actually are when it comes to it. here are your carbohydrates here are your, here are your macros for fats and proteins hopefully you now understand a bigger insights into why we set the numbers the way that they are for not only your health and performance but to help you reach your fitness and health goals and they will be altered based off of your dietary preferences but also due to your overall goals as well and understanding these more can help you understand why it is you do meal planning the way that you do for not only optimal nutrient intake but also to focus on health and performance as well. Um, and so look forward to more episodes coming in the future as far as how to specifically use these um, even further for fat, things like fat loss and things like muscle gain. But at the end of the day, always start with a good healthy baseline. It is important to first develop good habits around these macros first and making sure that you're getting a wide variety of foods to meet not only performance needs, but health needs because health should always come first. It should always be more important to understand what you need just to maintain your body and optimize your health before you embark on an adventure to improve in any of those areas or to build muscle or even lose fat. You have to make sure because you're going to need the lifelong habits to be able to sustain you forever. Because one of the biggest things that us coaches fight during this season, particularly, especially after the holidays, is individuals looking for a quick fix to be able to help them lose weight or to help them build muscle. They try to look for a supplement to, to cure all their ails when, in fact, nothing is going to be able to replace the fact that you need better eating habits overall. And when you learn how to make better choices and understand the macronutrients better, that is when you will build those pillars of health and be able to maintain health for long-lasting, healthy life. Look forward to future topics coming soon about how to specifically manipulate these, whether your goals are fat loss, milk building muscle. Um, we'll also look into the future as far as specific things to do for meal planning options and what you can do for traveling and, and fighting uh, the holidays if you're interested in learning more about how to approach the holidays. We just did a wonderful episode talking about Thanksgiving with my colleague, Dr. Mike Lane, in the previous episode. But for all of the questions, be sure to hit us up on social media webpages. You can find us at Evolve underscore HP, and you can find us on all our social media 
area. If you have questions or certain topics that you would love to see on our podcast, be sure to submit to us and we'd be happy to add them to our awesome list and start creating better, come better, more informed and more overall content for you all. This has been Coach P. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. I hope you all had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving and looking forward to sending you guys more value here in the upcoming weeks as we get even further into the holiday season. This has been, this has been Coach P and I'll see you in the next one. Coach Peace out. If you liked today's episode, please be sure to drop a like, share it with all your friends, and give us a great review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to work with the best in the business, please be sure to head over to all of our social media web pages at Evolve Health and Performance. Also, Evolve, we're trying to make you the best athlete of all time and realize your full potential. And stay tuned for all future episodes where we bring you the best guests and features for everything health, fitness, and wellness. For everything Evolve, stay tuned. Coach P's out.